सहनावतु सहनौभुनक्तु सह वीर करवाहे तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तु मिदिषावहे ओं शाति 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 May the Lord protect us both, the teacher and the taught, together by revealing knowledge. May the Lord protect us both by giving us the results of knowledge. May we attain illumination together. Let what we study be invigorating. May we not cavil at each other. Om, peace, peace, peace. So in Kathopanishad, we were on the 20th mantra where Nachiketa finally asks the question, which will begin the teaching of Vedanta. Before this, uh, Nachiketa had been offered three boons by the Lord of Death, Yama. And the first boon that the little boy asked for was that I should go back uh, to the world of the living and my father should be happy with me, basically settling his worldly affairs. The second boon was he asked about the best Vedic sacrifice, which can guarantee a heaven. Uh, one of those temporary heavens after death. So basically taking care of his other worldly affairs. Now he's asking the ultimate question. What is the reality about ourselves? Is there anything that lives after? Is there anything that continues after physical death? Or is there nothing? Are we just these bodies? And there also he's not asking about the subtle body. Because remember, he already believes that um, the body dies and then we go on to other lives. But what's beyond all that? What's the ultimate truth about ourselves? That's the question he's actually asking. Because the question itself which he asked is, is a little vague. He said, some say there is something after death. Others say there is nothing after death. I would like to know the answer to this mystery. You are the Lord of death. You are the best person to ask this. So tell me. Is he asking about Atma, our real nature, existence, consciousness, place? Or is he asking about something that survives death? Even the subtle body, the mind survives death, all according to the Vedantic paradigm. So he's asking about Atma here. That's the uh, general understanding. You can see that from the teaching which Yama will give him after this. He'll teach Vedanta, the nature of the uh, our real nature. Not the body, not the mind, uh, beyond the physical body, beyond the subtle body, uh, beyond even the causal body who we really are. All right. But before that, there will be a test uh, to see the fitness for this knowledge. Uh, Yama, the Lord of Death, will hesitate to give him the knowledge, not because he cannot teach it, he has that knowledge, he can transmit it, but he wants to know whether the little boy is fit for this knowledge. Now, what's the question about this fitness? Why can't we be given the knowledge? If, if the knowledge is there, Let's have that knowledge. Why bother so much about who is fit and not fit? If it's not fit, if one is not capable, two things will happen. One, straightforward, is that it will have no effect. Uh, it will, uh, we will not realize, we will not become enlightened that breakthrough, the knowledge of Brahman, Brahmagyana, the um, liberation, spiritual liberation, moksha, those things will not come going beyond suffering, those things will not come. It will not just not work if we are not fit for it. We are not ready to assimilate it. And that we understand. Any kind of knowledge, 
you go to a university medical school or a physics department or something something sophisticated something very deep unless one is equipped we won't we won't understand what's going on there and here the equipment which is going to talk about it's not just some prior knowledge you know this and then you come to my class no this some there's a moral ethical preparation there's a certain maturity which is to be had after that vedanta comes so that he will discuss the second bad effect which can come if we are not fit is suppose the knowledge is transmitted to somebody who's not fit and now that person becomes the authority about that knowledge and begins to teach a distorted version and in um even harmful version to other people that can happen and it has happened again and again in the past so uh, that's why yama puts nachiketa through this test now what is this qualification and why is it uh, important so this qualifications are the fourfold qualifications which we have studied in vedanta when you start studying vedanta the first thing that you actually study are these fourfold qualifications the first is viveka discernment between the eternal and the non-eternal put it even more generally between that spiritual reality and our mundane reality that there is such a thing even though i i do not know god i do not know myself as brahman but by listening to this by looking at our spiritual tradition and all of the spiritual traditions i have a general belief that there is something very valuable to this perhaps much more valuable than whatever i have in this life so that's one the second one follows from this vairagya dispassion dispassion not towards brahman dispassion towards the world so dispassion for the world uh, that all the things that i have in this world have not provided me with lasting satisfaction have not taken me um, across suffering well they have done a little bit for me not really because they are temporary because they are um, uh, insubstantial and transient once they are gone they are really gone whether it is money or health or uh, you know stock market options or my job or my status or uh, husband wife children parents when they are gone it's gone just some fading memories are left so it does not give anything permanent to me this the what the world can give this is called seeing the insubstantiality uh, the transience of worldly things because things in the world do not last um therefore i have dispassion for them i have consciously or unconsciously tried to make myself happy how long have you tried it as far as i remember all my life from my babyhood to childhood to teenage to um youth middle age and old age in whatever way that all came to me i have i've been struggling with trying to overcome dissatisfaction unhappiness and attain some kind of um fulfillment some kind of happiness some kind of satisfaction everything has been sort of sand slipping through my fingers it has nothing has stuck and nothing nothing remains and if i go on in this way i see no hope of doing anything better that's the sign of uh, of sanity you know they say the sign of insanity is keeping on doing the same thing and expecting different results 
that's the that is the condition of samsara we keep on repeating the same things and we expect different results it won't work so this is dispassion for the non-eternal the non-spiritual the mundane and this goes with an uh, you know, turning towards the spiritual then comes discipline so this is discernment viveka dispassion vairagya third is discipline and that's a set of six so there's a little bit of cheating going on here they put in six they've said it's number three but it's uh, the six in that and we know these are six disciplines uh, shama mental quietude mental calmness settledness not restlessness then dhamma an actual control over our body our sense organs our physical organs then uparati a careful withdrawing from too much engagement with the world careful withdrawing from too much engagement with the world and all these things we have studied in vedanta sara in fact this is where some vedanta teachers will introduce uparati means sanyasa renunciation monkhood one meaning of uparati would be at this point you are expected to become a monk so that you are qualified for vedanta but basically what it means is whether you are formally a monk or not there is you required to step back a little from worldly engagements the plunge too much into the social scene you know <laughs> then it's very difficult then um, number um for uh, the, the number 4 is uh, this titik so uparat shama dama uparati titiksha titiksha means a fortitude a spiritual fortitude no matter what the world throws at me and no matter what the problems in the world in my family uh, in my physical health finances whatever it is i will persevere in my spiritual quest specifically my vedantic quest but anyway in general spiritual quest i will persevere i will not sacrifice spirituality usually spirituality is the first thing that is sacrificed when there is trouble a little fever so today i need not do my meditation i have an excuse i have a little fever uh i remember somebody was aghast when i talked the covid first hit last year uh this person said that you're talking about vedanta now swami he was appalled in this time of crisis you're talking about vedanta as if the idea is vedanta is this, this leisure activity you know um this nice philosophy talk you go to once in a while you attend uh, lectures by public intellectuals by eminent speakers but of course you won't do that when you are in serious trouble you have to confront this trouble so why vedanta in the time of covid no vedanta is this is the time for vedanta this is the time for spirituality if the spirituality does not work in this time it's, it's not worth anything it just becomes you know a little bit of um, philosophical sophistry or, or logic chopping no it must work it must help me when i'm in trouble so i vivekananda says in one place he says i do not care for that religion which cannot wipe the widow's tears and hold a piece of bread to a starving man's uh, lips uh, and yet promises heaven after death uh, he was uh, criticizing the the lack of social consciousness of the hindus at that time so he's it must help me spiritually psychologically even in 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 this um, in this world it must be it must give me strength so uh, titiksha strength and then 
there is samadhana focus yes i am reducing my external activities i am controlling my senses calming my mind but to do what you are clearing the decks for action what is to be done focus focus on spiritual life focus on your vedantic study focus on your meditation focus on your devotional practices focus on your um, altruistic selfless action the four yogas so samadhana settle down on on spiritual on the spiritual quest and then shraddha shraddha is a deep abiding faith that what the text say is right what the teacher says is right enough to sustain me through this long and arduous spiritual quest and then finally very important mumukshutva mumukshutva literally means desire for moksha desire for liberation desire for spiritual freedom how much do i want it now yama will actually test this sri ramakrishna has said of all of these things the most important is mumukshutva is the most important sri ramakrishna's language was vyakulata which is a bengali word which means your desperation your intense passion for god whether it's on the path of knowledge or path of devotion the intense desire i must see god it's possible to see god i must see god in this very life this intense desire all the other things you know the fourfold qualifications discernment dispassion the sixfold treasures which are disciplines basically and the desire for freedom if the desire for freedom is intense all the others will come now suppose you say that's all right but my desire is a little mild so <laughs> desire for free, uh, uh, spiritual freedom is a little mild then what do i do then you have to start at the other end strengthen the discernment see the, uh, there is an interesting link between these uh, one of the recent shankaracharyas of shringeri he has written a commentary on the vivek chodamani and there he says there is a secret to be understood about this about these fourfold qualifications it's not just given as a an ask list whether you have it or not if you don't have it goodbye if you have it you can come for the vedanta class no there is a way to cultivate these what is the way to cultivate these each one is causally linked to the preceding one i'll repeat that the secret is each one of the four is causally linked to the preceding one causally linked means the preceding one is the cause the succeeding one is an effect intense desire to be free you're telling me that's the most important thing yes but my desire to be free is not intense my love for god is not intense then what do i do is it hopeless no strengthen those disciplines strengthen those disciplines six the sixfold treasure calm down the mind live a life of simplicity and austerity self control then um, uh, spiritual toughness uh, then um, withdraw from too much engagement with worldly activities then focus on vedanta have a firm faith in the teachings of vedanta uh, it is difficult or oh, really then the earlier step vairagya a dispassion look into the faults of the wor- of worldliness look around you look around you as a monk i come across many many people from especially these days they're connected to the whole world all walks of life and all kinds of people and one thing that emerges from all of this is the faults of worldliness if you just listen to all of this from one end to the other the whole spectrum you will be first thing you will get is vairagya dispassion so this dispassion 
no, I don't have too much dispassion. I have some dispassion. I don't think really the world can give me happiness. But still, there are, I am pretty attached to the world. Then go further back. Viveka, discernment. Eternal, non-eternal, Brahman and the world. Spirituality versus the mundane life. Yes, but how do I develop that? Vedanta. <laughs> Study Vedanta. The more you listen to this, the more you think about it. Uh, study the lives of the saints, study devotional texts, study Vedantic texts, that itself will give you the qualifications. See, you see, qualifications to enter Vedanta, but if you study Vedanta, it may not work. The more and more you listen, the more it will begin to take hold. In Hindi, they have a term, Pachtani, it's not digested. It will be digested if you, if you stay with it. It will begin to take effect. I remember when we were uh, new brahmacharis, just joined the order um, in one ashram where I was there for some, some time. There was a great pandit who used to come and teach. And all the monks, those who were ordained with you know, the swamis, they used to go and attend the class in that ashram. And um, we, the newcomers, we were encouraged. We didn't understand anything, but we were encouraged. Come, sit, listen. You, you will, you'll get it slowly. Little by little, you'll understand. So, the fourfold qualifications. And uh, ultimately, there must be an intense desire to break free of, of this, this dissatisfactory state of affairs. And that is what Yama is, is testing him. Yama is going to test. Um, let us see. He... You know, when we studied economics, the first thing we were taught in the economics class is uh, demand and demand and supply. So demand in the microeconomics class. And I still remember the teacher wrote demand is equal to desire plus ability to pay plus willingness to pay. So desire. We have desire for so many things. The entire, you know, you walk down Fifth Avenue here, the people have desire for so many things all on the shopping nicely displayed there. This, that, that, all are nice, fancy things. Desire is there. Is that demand? Does that do any good to the shopkeeper? No. I have desire for all of that. But of course, I don't have a dollar in my pocket. And no good. The shopkeeper is, is not interested in me. But I have desire. And I have the money. All right. So will you pay for it? No. I have desire, but not enough desire to pay for all these trinkets. I don't want to waste my valuable money buying all this. Uh, these trinkets, then that's also not demand for the shopkeeper. For the shopkeeper, demand is when you want something and you have the ability to pay for it and you're willing to pay for it. So you then what you do, you want it, you can buy it and you do, you are willing to buy it. And uh, you go in there and you buy it. Now Yama is testing Najiketa. So, does he have the capacity to demand Vedanta? And does he want it first? And does he want it enough? To uh, Is he capable? And is he willing to put forth that effort? So, you want it enough to put forth that much effort? And at all, is he capable at all? So, he now tests. And remember, this is something we see now also. I've seen in monastic orders... In our order, for example, the monks keep talking about spirituality, God realization, spiritual practice, and so on and so forth. But when the 
um, young man comes up at the monastery and wanting to be a monk, he's in for a surprise. Because then the monks seem to backpedal. They say, are you sure? Give it some time. Think about it. I had a friend. So they will, they will discourage at first. What's the point of discouraging? Not that they don't want the young man to be a monk. If that young man wants to be a monk, very good. But one must be absolutely sure. And we say on your own power, not because I told you or somebody inspired you, then you can blame that person later on. Things don't work out. No, you must come into a monastery on your own power. That means on your, um, you want it very badly. That's why you are here. Not that we, we called you in or we, we told you to stay. So I have a friend who is a doctor, an MD, anesthesiologist. And uh, so he told me how he became a monk. He was inspired. He came to the main, our main monastery in Belur. And he went to a very senior Swami there, the general secretary of the order. Why have you come? I want to join and be a monk. And he said, sit down here. And then he said that the general secretary of the order, the order which have come with such great hopes to become a monk of, he gave me a half an hour lecture on the disadvantages of monastic life. And then after that, he said, so what do you think? Are you going to be a monk now? And my friend said, yes, I want to be a monk. And the general secretary said, very good. You go and <laughs> go there and, and you join that place. Yes. So it's a test. Yama is going to test Nachiketa. This is mantra number 21. Devairatrapi vichikitsitam pura nahi suvigyam anuresha dharma anyam varam nachiketo vrinishwa mamo parotsi ratima srijainam. With regard to this, even the gods entertain doubts in days of yore. For being subtle, this substance, the self, is not truly comprehended. O Nachiketa, ask for some other boon. Do not press me. Give up this boon that is demanded of me. So the Lord of Death says, In ancient times, even the gods, what to speak of? Ordinary people or a little boy like you, even the gods were confused about this. Atra means here, here means in this issue, in this question, what you have asked me about the Atma, about the Atman. Gods were, uh, even the gods were confused about this, the nature of ultimate reality, who we really are, what's going on here, what's the ultimate reality about life. Even the gods were deluded. Who are the gods? Gods with small g, the devatas. They are beings like us, but far superior to us. And so they have been born with divine bodies due to a lot of good past karma. So they live in heaven, heavens, multiple heavens are there and so on. So they're very, very powerful beings. Yama is one of them. Yama, the Lord of Death, is one of those gods, one of the powerful ones. Now, for example, in the Keno Upanishad, which we will do later, in the Keno Upanishad, you find the gods are puzzled by the nature of ultimate reality. The ultimate reality, Brahman, appears before them. And then the story is that there's a nice little story. The gods think, what is this? What's this reality? <coughs> What's this amazing being which has appeared? And they ask the god of, of fire, um, go and find out who, who this being is. 
the god of fire goes there before he can speak this amazing being who's none other than brahman the ultimate reality asks who are you what's your power and the god of fire says i am fire and i can burn anything in this universe and then brahman that strange being you know he throws down a piece of straw and says burn this and fire you know blazed forth all kinds uh, very high temperatures blazing fire nothing happened the straw was, wasn't even singed so he admitted defeat and he re- returned unable to understand who that ultimate reality is or that that being is then they asked the god of wind why you go there and find out who this strange being is and the, the god of wind rushed there in all enthusiasm and the same thing happened brahman asked that god who are you and what's your power your your superpower and uh, vayu says i can i am the god of wind i can blow away anything in this universe well blow away this piece of straw and he huffed and puffed and uh, tried his best but the little piece of straw didn't move so he was defeated he came back and so on and then the lord of the, all the gods indra the king of gods he goes and so on what's the point of that story there's an inner meaning to that the gods there symbolize the different powers of our indriyas the power to see hear smell taste touch to think comprehend none of them can objectify or capture brahman you can't see brahman you can't and so on not only that the deeper meaning of that is all those powers come from brahman like the power of the uh, fire god to burn the power of the wind god to blow things away all powers originate from one ultimate reality and that is you actually you shining your eyes have the capacity of seeing and get, and get the experience of seeing you pure consciousness shining through the mind and through the ears you have the capacity of experiencing sound taste smell um, touch you have the capacity of thinking and understanding and remembering and desiring and hating all of these experiences are possible because pure consciousness atman brahman same thing that's your real nature you shine upon this conglomerate of uh, mind and the senses that's the meaning of the story but also it's also true that the gods were puzzled and in the end of the story the gods were illumined so a set of the highest gods indra and this yama so they 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 were ultimately illumined so they realized that we are brahman that's why yama is a teacher that's why he can teach uh, he's not confused himself uh, so he says but the gods were confused about this in ancient times and i gave you one story of how the gods were confused about the nature of ultimate reality why were they confused na suvigyam it is not easily understood it cannot be uh, truly comprehended truly comprehended and easily understood easily understood means it's it's very subtle that's why it cannot be easily understood truly comprehended means it cannot be made an object of a, a determinative knowledge that means this is it because all this is it is powered by that one consciousness you cannot reduce gold to one type of ornament yes gold is a bracelet could be any other thing but it's basically a bracelet no it isn't um so what should we do and why is it difficult to understand anuresha dharma here dharma means the atman see dharma normally means a code of morality ethics and adharma means uh, being immoral or unethical 
uh, here it applies to the Atman. In fact, multiple meanings are there of Dharma. Just like karma, for example, multiple meanings. Yoga, for example, multiple meanings. Dharma has the largest number of meanings. One meaning is, of course, uh, religion, morality, ethics. Another meaning is the, the, the good karma in Sanskrit, punya. The good karma that one gets by performing Vedic rituals, which will take you to heaven after death. That's a very specific meaning of dharma. Then another meaning of dharma is... Uh, uh, sentient being, jivas, we are all dharmas. Mandukya Karika uses that in that, that sense, uh, that all beings, these are called dharmas. There are other meanings which are given in Buddhism. Every uh, particle of reality is called a dharma, for example, in, in Buddhism, certain schools of Buddhism. Here, atma itself is called a dharma. The ultimate reality is called a dharma. Why would you say, why so many meanings? Isn't this, is there something common to all of them? There is. Um, dharanat. Dhri means to hold. The etymological meaning of dharma is to hold together. So you look at uh, the uses. Morality or ethics holds society, civilization together. And gives personal integrity. Your dharma is that which gives integrity to your character. So that's the meaning of dharma. That which holds things together. Um, Every object has its own dharma. The sentient being, the jiva, is what holds this body-mind together and that's why we have this uh, life of our own. And ultimately it is Atman which holds everything together because it is the reality of all things. So in every case it is etymologically you can derive why they are called dharma. Anyway, that discussion aside, this dharma, that means Atman, is exceedingly subtle. Anu means atom. So it's exceedingly atomic means not small, not tiny. Atman is vast, all-pervading, uh, not limited by time, space or object. True. But here it means subtle. Because atoms are subtle, in that sense subtle. Therefore cannot be known as an object and is not easy to know because of its subtlety. And then he says, ask for something else. Anyam vara nachiketo vrinishwa. Ask for something else. Why ask for something else? Because it's difficult. Because it may not give any result. Shankaracharya explains this in his commentary. Don't waste a boon. Nachiketa, you're a clever boy. You ask for good things. The first boon and second boon. So you are really good at this. But don't waste this. You are going to get... If you ask me, I'll give you a Vedanta class. But you've just wasted a boon on a Vedanta class. So ask for something else. And he knows, Yama knows that he is caught, he's in a, a caught because he has promised to give Nachiketa whatever he asks. So he next he pleads for Nachiketa to let him off the hook, as Americans would say. Mam Uparotsi, do not press me on this. Do not push me on this. Adima Srijainam, don't press me. Let me off. Let me off. And this, you know, because I have promised you, if you really want it, I'll have to speak to you, uh, you about it. But it's difficult. You probably won't get it, and you have wasted the um, the boon. And later on, in other verses, coming mantras, he will say, not only is it difficult, it's useless. This Vedanta knowledge is useless. Ask for like useful stuff, you know, really money and things like that. You ask for that, I'll give you all that. 
Najiketa, however, see, here is the character of Najiketa. Let's look at the verse number 22. Devai ratrapi vichikit sitam kila tuamcha mrityu yanna sugyeya matha vakta chasya twadriganyo nalabhyo nanyo varastulya etasya kaschit. Even the gods entertained doubt with regard to this thing, and O oh death, since you too say that it is not truly comprehended, and since any other instructor like you of this thing is not to be had, therefore there is no other boon comparable to this one. What a wonderful turnaround. He is playing jujitsu with uh, uh, the Lord of Death. He says, precisely, you said it's difficult. Even the gods were confu uh, confused about this. Precisely, that's why I want, want to know about this. And uh, so in, just because the gods were confused on this question, who am I, the ultimate reality of the self. Um, and you have just said, you, the Lord of Death, you have just said it's difficult. Uh, then I will not get another teacher like you. You are the Lord of Death. You are enlightened yourself. You know what happens after death. You know what remains in all this coming and going, this whirling circle of life, is there any reality beyond this? Who will know better than you? And I've got you. If you don't tell me, you, you're, you're, you're promised. And you do, if, you, if I don't learn it from you, if I let go of this opportunity, I'll never, I'll never get the, the answer to this question. There is no other, also, there is no other boon equal to this. Nanya varastulya etasya kaschit. There's nothing as good as this, as great as this. This is the most precious knowledge. This is the most precious acquisition that one can have in all the lives of, of you know, which we have gone through. There's nothing greater to be had. Um, I've shared with you once the discussion I had with Professor uh, Parimal Patil at Harvard University. He asked this rhetorical question. Why, if so few people become enlightened, it's so difficult, why would anybody uh, enter this spiritual quest? And I gave him two answers. He gave me a third one. I have said this earlier, but let me just quickly summarize. He, he, uh, I said, well, it's not that people do not um, get enlightenment. It's difficult to get. No, everybody will get enlightenment. All will get enlightenment. Why not? It's our real nature. What could prevent us from getting that? Other things we may or may not get, but this we will, we are bound to get it. This life, the next life, sometime. Uh, so this is guaranteed. When we don't know, but it's guaranteed it'll happen. Then the second reason I gave was why should one come into spiritual path? Once you have got a taste of the spiritual path, what will you do? What else will you do? What compares to this? The more we appreciate this, what else will you do? We have to pursue this path. This is the greatest of human adventures. It's the final adventure, actually. This you know, the mystery of this universe, mystery of ourselves, what we are, mystery of life. And he said, both of these are good questions, good answers, but they are uh, theoretical. They're somewhat, you know, um, abstract. I'll give you the real reason why people stick to spiritual life. Why they come to spirituality and they stick to spiritual life. This is the professor said this. And remember, this is a discussion going on in, at Harvard University, not even in the divinity school. This was going on in the philosophy department, Emerson Hall. And he says that um, 
because day to day the strength that we get peace that we get from our spiritual practices from prayer and meditation and devotion um this keeps us going we are getting benefits far before for long before enlightenment long before god realization whatever is promised we are getting the benefit of that day to day so this keeps us going and it's a beautiful answer now he says um vakta chasya twadrik anyonalabhya there is no other teacher like you there is no no human being can teach you like teach like a god and certainly not like the god of death and you are an illumined being here i am again reminded of a similar incident which actually happened swami vivekananda one of his disciples swami vivekananda was very pleased with him in belur math i think but definitely in calcutta and this he said to disciple ask for something i'll give you a boon today and the disciple said all right tell me what is maya not what is brahman what is maya and swami vivekananda did this exactly what yama is going to do he said ask me something else don't press me on this question and then the disciple said exactly what nachiketa said he said there is no other teacher like you if i don't get an answer to this question from you i'll never get an answer to this question so i want this exactly the words which nachiketa used there's no other teacher like you there's no other question like this and nothing greater than this and if i don't get an answer from you i'll never get it in my life i want this and then the disciple says swami vivekananda began to speak and as i sat and listened i lost all sense of this external world even my body he says the the room began to spin before my eyes and it melted away into uh, you know like into light and my own body i couldn't feel it my mod- body disappeared i couldn't see myself i couldn't see swami vivekananda either but i could keep i heard his voice in that void in that luminous void his voice was going on and uh, i burst out i heard myself bursting out and saying swami all this is maya whatever you are doing preaching vedanta establishing this organization all this is maya and swami vivekananda and then he says i noticed i used the bengali diminutive <laughs> in bengali the different or indian languages actually there are different ways you address superiors the teacher um or you know people who are of uh, equal rank or people who are you know your maybe children or social inferiors or something like that so multiple levels uh, of inflection are there so in bengali apni or in hindi aap would be the way like a thou you uh, address a teacher a guru for example and this disciple says i heard myself using the the familiar term to me you which you use to your friends or uh, you know people who are equal to you you don't you don't certainly say that to your guru the moment he thought that you see this sense of difference distinction hierarchy the moment this thought came to him reality snapped back into place the apparent reality which we involve this came back the roop and the body and vivekananda sitting there looking at him smiling and vivekananda agreed vivekananda answers his question yes you are right that is all maya if you can give it all up 
immerse yourself in meditation, realize Brahman, be one with Brahman, be done with all this. But if you cannot, Vivekananda says, if you cannot, then come and join me, help in this noble work. That's the best possible life you can have. I mean, this is my interpretation. This much he says. This is the story. Now, if we are interested in, so what exactly is it that Vivekananda said? I also want this world to disappear into a luminous void and all that. Well, luckily we have, I mean, the disciple himself has not given any details about what exactly it is that Vivekananda said. But we have Vivekananda's lectures on Maya, three lectures on Maya. Uh, so I'm sure it must be some of that stuff which Vivekananda said to um, his disciple. At one point, I decided to give a talk on Maya, sort of summarizing what Swami Vivekananda said in those lectures. And then I was surprised to see recently that of all the lectures I've given, talks I've given, uh, which are in the Vedanta Society of New York, that is probably probably in one of the top three. Not because of what I said, it's mostly what Vivekananda said. But it's because uh, I think of the term Maya, everybody's interested. More than Atman, Brahman, God, it's Maya people want to know what is it actually. So Nachiketa says, there is no other teacher quite like you. I want this. Then he says, Nanya Varastulya, there is no other boon equal to this. You said, ask me for something else. There's nothing else equal to this. And Yama says, Yama gets his cue here. The Lord of Death, he says, ah, we'll see about that. Nothing equal to this. Let me give you the, the catalog. Uh, I remember as a kid, we didn't have these fancy catalogs. In, in those days in America, the big um, this shopping, uh, like Sears and all, they would have expensive catalogs. So among the few people who I knew had gone abroad, one of my friends, so they had come back from Germany and they had these expensive catalogs in one or two. In it. And I would leave through that in surprise and think, there's so many uh, fine, uh, you know, the catalog itself was so glossy and there's so many attractive looking things from furniture to gadgets and whatnot. Because I mean, there's so many things that are available in the world. So Yama is going to pull out the Sears catalog. He said, you think there's nothing equal to this? You're a little boy. You have no idea. Come, here is Amazon. Now you don't even need a catalog. You just go to Amazon and see, see what all is available. Though everything in the world is available for you. You need, of course, desire plus ability to pay plus willingness to pay. But everything is set out before you. Now Yama is going to do that. He's going to pull out uh, the catalog and show Nachiketa what all is available, what he could ask for. 23. Shatayusha putra potran brinishwa Bahun pashun hasti hiranyamashwan Bhumir mahadaya tanam brinishwa Swayam chajiva sharado yavadichasi Talk about temptation with a capital T. And all this for a little boy. Yama says, ask for sons and grandsons and that will, that will be centenarians. Ask for many animals, elephants, and gold, and horses, and a vast expanse of the earth. And you yourself live for as many years as you like. So what all people could want? Family. You want you know, husbands, wives, children, grandchildren. And not only the children. It, 
you know he's immediately he covers his uh, you know if uh, he uh, qualifies it by saying they will live for 100 years they will outlive you one of the most shocking things the greatest tragedies possible in human life is to lose a child grandparents die parents die that's in the natural course of things it's sad but to lose a child i mean one can ima- only imagine how how devastating that is how shocking how tragic that is and so yama knows that and he says that you will have many children and grandchildren and they'll be all long lived they will live for 100 years all of them and uh, yeah but who's going to feed that brood who's going to educate them they're saying it costs some million dollars something like that to send two children to college here in the united states so who's going to uh, i i don't know i mean something like that maybe so is, who's going to um, uh, take care of all of those children it will be a misery to have lots of uh, children and no way to feed them and he says no here is vast wealth ask for wealth and all of this in one boon you can ask for all of this in one boon bahun pashun lots of cattle why cattle remember in those days cattle was wealth was equivalent to wealth like um, it starts with the gift of cattle do you remember so cattle not just cattle elephants so it was a sign of prestige to own elephants what good are elephants no good that's the point <laughs> you you have these magnificent beasts in your garage uh, so it's not very different now you have this gas guzzling huge suvs or something uh, you know it's like an elephant and from there the term has come white elephant which absorbs all of your resources and an income Uh, doesn't do much so elephants ask for elephants um i remember once uh, and in monasteries they measured their wealth and property by uh, owning not only cattle but elephants i remember one uh, head of a traditional monastery came to our monastery once in deoghar when i was a novice and so this head who is a traditional monk so he has to establish his dominance over our head the head of our ashram so the first thing he asked in hindi kitne hathi hain aapke how many elephants do you have and the poor swami said well we have a few cows but no elephants so that's it you're defeated you don't have elephants i'm obviously a superior monk because i have elephants um i remember once one of our uh, swamis uh, he was the head of our ashram in in chennai and from a traditional ashram um, there was a procession and the head of that ashram was going on on the back of an elephant and seeing the swami of our uh, madras mat the madras um, monastery on this walking down in front of him there are a lot of other people also this other swami who was on sitting seated on the elephant he recognized oh this is the head of the rama local rama krishna mission so he blessed him like this from the top of the elephant like this so after all you are much higher than an elephant now our swami not to be undone uh, not to be outdone he from the from there uh, on the road he blessed him with both hands like this <laughs> uh elephants i'm going to give you not only cattle but many elephants and horses and uh, 
but it's very expensive. This is Hiranyam, lots of gold, lots of money. In today's world, it would translate into you know, cars and private jets and whatnot, not horses and elephants, but so on. And lots and lots of money, millions and billions of dollars. And how would all this come? Bhumir Mahadayatanam. You'll have a vast kingdom. The commentator says that you'll be a king of a kingdom. Only kings would have such kind of property. So that's what you will be. Ask for all of this. And he knows, you get all of this and you die quickly or you are sickly and old. No. You live as long as you like. And the commentator adds, with perfect health. With perfect health. There's this popular saying, you spend um, your health in earning money uh, all your life. Work hard and ruin your health. Spend up your health in uh, earning money. And then spend all of your money in regaining your health. So, and here Yama says, none of that. You will be healthy. You will live for 100 years. So ask for this. Now, we can ask ourselves, if somebody comes and gives this, you have an option. Either you get the knowledge of Brahman, which is basically a Vedanta class and nothing more than that, or you will become enormously wealthy and you will have family, large extended family, and you will have all gadgets and houses and cars and everything, and you'll be healthy and you'll live long. Sounds tempting. Why would you want something like that, some kind of abstract philosophy? What, what's the point? Take this. All that we have to remember is this. I'll give you a very good example. Suppose somebody says now, I'll give you power and wealth and make you the president of the United States. I'll give you a billion dollars and I'll give, um, you know, you will have children and grandchildren, all will be good and healthy and you'll be um, you know, healthy and long-lived and all of that. That sounds great. Ah, but one thing. It's all going to be a dream. It will be in your dream. And the option is you can wake up. One of the two. Either you wake up or I'll give you all this in your dream. All of us will say, oh, that's no good. Not even Everything that you can give in your dream, you don't have to give me. I can imagine things in my dream also. None of that counts to one second of wakefulness because that's not real. That's not real. Vedanta is waking up to reality. The rest of this is delusion. There, what Yama is offering him is a string of zeros. You want more zeros. I'll give you more and more zeros. What Yanachiketa is asking for is the one. So can, can't you have both? You can have the one and all the zeros will come and go. It it's, no, no, makes no difference to you. Or you can live in the realm of delusion. In the house of Maya, in, in Edwin Arnand's translation, uh, in, in about the uh, life of the Buddha. The house of Maya. You can have that. But your problem with that is dreams will break one day. And when they'll break, they'll all be gone. Not only gone, you will see it was never there at all. It was a dream. It was a delusion. The whole thing was a waste. Or Lord Yama says that if there's anything else in your mind, don't be shy. Ask me. I'll give it to you. 
If you think some other boon to be equal to this, ask for that. Ask for wealth and a long life. O Nachiketa, you can become a ruler over a vast region. I make you fit. I will make you fit for the enjoyment of all delectable things. If there's something else equal to what I have said, I showed you the entire catalog. Is there anything else that you have got in your mind? I can get that for you too. And uh, you basically ask for vast wealth. Put together the wealth of all the billionaires, Bezos and uh, Bill Gates and Elon Musk and all of that. And all of that, you'll get it. Live long. Chirajeevi can live a long life as long as you want. Um, be the emperor of the earth, Mahabhumo, you rule over an empire for a long time. There have been such people. Uh, so do that. I will make you the enjoyer of all desires, whatever you can desire. And all of that in one boon. This over eagerness of Yama is itself suspicious. You know, he's trying to pull a fast one on you, he's getting desperate. He'll, he said, I'll just basically give you anything in this universe, but don't ask me for that. It just increases your interest, your eagerness to know that, oh, that one thing. This is a theme in the Upanishads. The great sage Yagyavalkya, who is the hero of the Brihadarnak Upanishad, which we'll get to hopefully someday, uh, the, the Lord willing. Uh, at the end of his career as a teacher, he decides to become a monk. And he had two wives. He renounces life, I mean, the worldly life, and he divides his uh, wealth among the two wives. One of the wives is Katyayani and uh, Maitreyi. One of the wives, Katyayani, is happy. She's uh, got um, you know, all the bank accounts and the mansions and the cars. I think he was a sage. I don't think he had much anyway. But anyway, so, but apparently he was quite well-to-do. He got a lot of uh, government grants from the kings and the emperors. And the other wife, Maitreyi, is intrigued. said, why are you doing this, husband? You're giving up all of this comfort and luxury and everything and going off into the forest to do what? What is that you're seeking for which you are giving everything away? All this which you are dividing with, you know, and giving me my share, will it give me that which you are seeking? And uh, Yagya Velkya was very pleased with this question. And he says, my dear, whatever um, I'm giving you, this will give you comfort in this world. As long as you are alive, it will make for a comfortable life. Yes, that is true. Money makes for a comfortable life. When, when we are sick, money makes for a comfortable hospital bed. And little less misery while dying. That's it. So this is what, what my wealth can do for you. But it will not give you immortality. It will not give unlock the secret of the universe. It will not take you beyond the shores of samsara into freedom, which is what I am seeking or what I am going into. Then Maitreyi asks him, I want that. I don't want this wealth. And then he instructs her, and that's the famous um, dialogue. Actually, there's a dialogue between husband and wife, uh, Yagyavalki and Maitreyi. Similarly here, Nachiketa, is being tempted. All desires, whatever possible desires, 
uh, I am uh, offering you, but don't ask for that one. This interesting phrase, Kama Nam Tua Kama Vajam Karomi, that'll make you the enjoyer of all desires. It's a bit like, uh, like you know, in today's world, Amazon Prime, all desires are there before you. So if you have got enough money, you can keep on buying. At least you can do uh, computer shopping, looking around, spend your days. This is nice. That is nice. This is what he is offering. Now we will see. He will offer something even more attractive next. That we will see next time. Let me see the comments. Prabir Babu is saying, what is the source of these fourfold qualifications? Is it coming from the Upanishads? Yes, it's coming from the Upanishads. It's not in one place. It's collected from the Upanishads. So it's in the later text, like Vedanta Sar, you will say Sadhan Chatushtaya Sampanna, with a fourfold qualification. But if you trace it back, it's been collected from different Upanishads. So this Upanishad, for example, it tests your dispassion, Vairagya. It tests your eagerness, Mumukshutva, to, to attain um, enlightenment. That's why I said, initially it's good to study a text like Vedanta Sara, which is sort of a finished system. It seems very neat, geometrical, but you have to. Now we are going back to the source, the Upanishads themselves. So it will seem rather messy, uh, but this is the original. It's from this that this whole system of Vedanta has emerged in time. Then Alpana is asking what if the desire for liberation is getting lesser? Because the understanding is not to be sought, it's ours to begin with. Huh. Getting lesser in the sense, if you find it, it's wonderful. I've got it. But lesser in the sense that now I'm getting mixed up with the world again, then, it's, then you're asking for trouble. It's like, I know this is a dream and I know I can wake up. Well, let me dream a little more. Then it's not working. There should be an intense desire to wake up first. What will happen in that case is, you'll still continue to be spiritual, but time will pass and we'll not come into any kind of uh, solid realization. This life will pass away. Next life will come back with a more intense desire to realize God. That's what will happen. Sean Lee says, how can I show dispassion to the mundane life as we are living in the worldly life? It's because you're living in the worldly life, you don't have a mundane life, then you can't show dispassion towards it. In the middle of that life only, you can show dispassion. See, um, there's so many people who, in, who are householders, but enlightened. And I'll always say Krishna, the teacher, and Arjuna, the student, both of them are householders. Here, Yama, the teacher, He's a householder. He's a god, but he's a householder. He's not a monk. Most of the Vedic rishis from whom the Upanishads came, they are householders, actually. As you mentioned, the more we listen to Vedanta to be spiritual, then we can be dispassionate to the worldly life. To become dispassionate to worldly life is the goal of life? No, to become enlightened is the goal of life. Dispassion is only the way of entangling yourself, disentangling yourself from the net of samsara. The whole problem is, we are consciousness. It's entangled with the body and mind. Entangled means not, don't think of it as physically entangled. It's just our misunderstanding. It's just our ignorance. 
and uh, but that becomes the basis of worldly life that i am a mixture of consciousness i understand consciousness but i feel i am a mixture of consciousness and mind and body and senses and this person so from there to coming to realization i am consciousness and consciousness alone the whole thing appears in me the consciousness this this entanglement this is possible it requires a little dispassion towards um, things which which we are entangled with gorov says i had the same question like alpana when we understand that what i need to attain is already attained any form of apparent attainment is at the level of transactional world the desire for liberation at least reduces a lot is mumukshutvam preliminary qualification which vanishes after understanding vedanta ultimately it will vanish because you realize you are ever free but only if you realize before that if it vanishes it just shows the um, like it is feeble then mumukshutvam is feeble if my thirst is satisfied by um, the picture of a bottle of water i have seen what water is like good i don't want any more water then i was not really thirsty to begin with so i don't want to just see the bottle of water i want to open it and i want to drink it and want to quench my thirst that kind of eagerness must be there yes in one ultimate sense you are right both gaurav and alpana are right if you look at enlightened persons the jivan muktas so do they have a driving um, uh, Uh, urge a burning urge for god realization no there comes a time when they are fulfilled when they are at peace if they are always desperate for god realization till the very end of their lives and they don't there's nobody to demonstrate the fulfillment of a jivan mukta then it would be a rather uh, unpleasant kind of uh, path but there is an end to it we were reading in the gospel of sri ramakrishna yesterday he says there is an uh, end to uh, spiritual striving where it becomes natural the presence of god is naturally felt or that i am the atman is naturally realized rita says a word assimilate is used often in reference to absorbing some teachings it seems to be a very important word but the meaning is not very clear nutrition for example it means one thing in social sciences the word assimilate may refer to a process by which an immigrant changes behaviors to fit in with the larger group in vedanta does it mean that a person who used to have a temper is now more patient as exercises samadhana uh, could it be that to assimilate a teaching means to transform the character both nutrition it means one thing and social sciences another thing these are good examples assimilate means make that teaching your own it's no longer a definition you know what is viveka what is vairagya dispassion and discernment it's no longer a definition i i learned in a textbook or heard from a vedanta teacher i actually feel it it's no no longer that i un- begin to understand that i may i am not exactly the body i am the witness of the body but it becomes a fact for me another um, characteristic of assimilation is as you said it's a good example social sciences you change your behaviors to assimilate our behaviors change because of our understanding so this new understanding this new realization let us say it will change our behavior our behavior right now is dictated by a kind of realization our realization right now is that i am the body and therefore i behave like this when i really understand or see that i am not the body 
when i really feel god exists and i am in the presence of god all the time or that ultimate reality is existence consciousness bliss and that is not a phrase a catchphrase no i feel that then my behavior has to change it will automatically flow from there so that's then that sense also assimilation is correct i mentioned it in another um context in that um, in in one of the classes in the harvard divinity school on buddhism there was this there was a paper which disc, which discussed two views of enlightenment one you might call a paradigm shift view another one you might call the uh, ethical manifestation view i think the words speak for themselves the paradigm shift view is that um, that was a buddhist thing but i'm putting it in vedantic terms i am not oh i am not the body and mind which i thought which was my paradigm earlier i am pure being pure awareness oh there these people and this world is not separate from me they are all i alone and appearing in, in this way oh i am not a limited being born aging and dying i am immortal this paradigm shift not just reading about it but you see it for as now this is your reality shifts this is the reality this is one type of assimilation this is uh, basically this is enlightenment but there is another meaning of enlightenment in the buddhist paradigm in the buddhist context are you able to show the compassion the purity of character the utter self control of a buddha then you are uh, enlightened not just because your paradigm has shifted or whatever so ethical manifestation model and both of these are combined when swami vivekananda says religion is the manifestation of the divinity already within us so the manifestation of the divinity already within us a magnificent uh, definition of spirituality you must know this your paradigm must shift chidananda roopah shivoham i am of the nature of shiva i am of the nature of consciousness i am of the nature of unlimited fulfillment this paradigm shift must come but also it must be expressed in thought word and deed swami vivekananda said my mission in life can be put in a few words it is to teach unto mankind their inner divinity and how to make it manifest in every movement of life so that is in both senses assimilation will assimilation is a lower stage of this and this is of course i'm talking about enlightenment mm one needs to assimilate spiritual ideas correct punita ji is asking is rita's question related to what you have conveyed to us uttarakhan sadhus reminders about honoring knowledge gained prapt gyan ka adar kare that's where the shoe pinches for many of us correct honoring the knowledge gained means we know enough we know a lot especially these days vast amounts of spiritual knowledge spiritual supermarket are available to us yet we can put into practice that is manifest in our lives only a tiny fraction of it compare it to the lives of many saints um it's they're not in how many books they have read read but how much compassion they had how much purity of character they had so that they were able to manifest much more so in vivekananda says uh, an ounce of practice worth 10 20 tons of tall talk 
So this is the difference between manifestation and uh, honoring the knowledge gained. Honoring the knowledge gained is a struggle before enlightenment. But before that, honoring the knowledge gained is a struggle because when we try to honor it, that means hold on to it in our day-to-day lives, immediately all our past conditioning comes up and there's this huge battle. Lord Buddha's mother's name was Maya, Maya Devi. Jennifer said, one of my teachers told me that one must want enlightenment as much as a drowning man wants. It's a classic example. We must drop the world as if it's burning hot plate. Yes, these are two classic examples in Vedanta. The teacher who takes the student, the student's asking, why don't I realize God? Teacher takes him and you know, sort of dunks him in water in the river, doesn't allow him to come up. And when he comes up gasping for air, teacher said, how did you feel? The student said, I could have given anything for one breath of air. So when you feel like that, you want God like that, when you're gasping for God, you will realize God. The other example is deep tashira, with your head on fire. Imagine this, <laughs> your hair is on fire uh, and you want to jump in the nearest pool of water. So this is the burn, with that kind of a burning question, you go to the teacher. Um, Krishnamurti Vishwanathan says the Vartikakara, that means Sureshwaracharya, Shankaracharya's student, explains it in one of his works that one experiences complete peace when the realized person digests the prapancha and makes it part of his own. Yes, he has said it in the, his uh, Vartikakara, the commentary on the Dakshinamurti Stotra. Just like the physical body digests food and is no longer troubled by it. Uh, so it's a beautiful question. We'll, I'll leave you with that. He asks the question, the Sureshwaracharya. He says, can you eat up the universe? Can you digest it in your tummy? You can put the whole universe in your tummy. What he means is, the moment you realize you're Brahman, your existence itself, the whole universe floats in you, like a shadow, not like a boat in water. It's like a shadow in you. You are the reality of this universe. Then you can be said to have gulped down the universe and digested the whole universe in, in your tummy. That's what he means. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ramakrishna Rupanamastur